Beloved congregation, in question 66 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we read, what are the sacraments? And the answer is, the sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, that is, that he grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. And so the sacraments are visible displays of the gospel. By way of the sacrament, God visibly affirms what he has communicated to us in his precious words. And so the sacraments are not superior to the word of God, but they are there to confirm the word of God. And God has instituted, Christ has instituted the sacraments, because of the weakness of our faith, the weakness that is so painfully real to God's children time and again, that weakness that causes us to lose sight of Christ and His finished work. What a blessing it therefore is that time and again through the preaching of the gospel not only, but also by means of the sacraments, it pleases God to reaffirm to His children the essential and precious truths of the gospel, of which we read several in the portion of Scripture which we read to you from 1 John 1 and 1 John 2. And we need to keep in mind that this not only applies to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, but this equally applies to the sacrament of holy baptism. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Somehow in our own mind, we elevate the Lord's Supper above the sacrament of baptism. And granted, the Lord's Supper is uniquely instituted by Christ to nourish and sustain the spiritual life of His children. And that's why we have the simple elements that remind us of a simple Jewish meal. But also the sacrament of baptism has been instituted in order, first of all, to minister grace to the congregation. You will notice it again when we read the form for baptism that the statement that is made just before the first prayer, it says this, that therefore this holy ordinance of God may be administered to His glory, our comfort, and the edification of His church, let us call upon His name. Now notice that the baptism of the child is not mentioned there. Why? To emphasize that the baptism of our children is but a means to an end. By means of the baptism of our children, it pleases God to bring glory to His own name, as we will see this morning, to comfort His children and to edify the congregation. And we need to keep that in mind as we will continue to explore the rich content of the form for the administration of baptism, a form that we have heard read so many times in our lives, and perhaps a form that we have taken for granted. And what needs to be understood about that form is that in the very first place, 
that form addresses not what baptism means to the child and to the parents, but the form addresses in the first place what baptism means for the people of God, for God's children. And so, as, as you will know also in coming months when we hope to continue this, that this form of baptism contains one of the most extraordinary statements in all of confessional literature about the Trinity and what the triune God signifies and seals every single time a child is baptized in his triune name. And that's why when you look at the form for baptism, as I pointed out previously, it isn't until more than halfway through the form that it specifically mentions the infants of children. So in other words, the form first addresses the doctrine of baptism. The form first addresses what baptism means to the believer, what it is that God is pleased to signify and seal to those that love and fear Him. And then the form specifically focuses on what this baptism means for the child to be baptized, what it means to the parents who are presenting this child. And so, let us turn to the form for baptism, page 126, and let's read again the opening paragraph, and then also that which follows, which will be the focus of our brief meditation this morning. So we read there, the principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism are these three. First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore are children of wrath, insomuch that we cannot enter the kingdom of God except we are born again. This the dipping in or sprinkling with water teaches us whereby the impurity of our souls is signified, and we admonished to loathe and humble ourselves before God and seek for our purification and salvation without ourselves. Secondly, holy baptism witnesseth and sealeth unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And it is that paragraph that opening paragraph on the section that is labeled secondly that we wish to consider this morning and consider how this echoes the teachings of the Word of God. I want you to notice again that it's not accidental that this opening section consists of three segments because those three segments, they parallel the structure of the Heidelberg Catechism. Segment number one focuses on sin, the reality of sin. Segment number two focuses on redemption in and through Christ, reconciliation with a triune God. And the third section deals with the subject of gratitude or the sanctified life. So we will then consider with God's help the promise of the gospel that is set forth to us in the sacrament of holy baptism. First of all, it is expressed by the washing away of sins. This beautiful and simple statement that holy baptism witnesses and sealeth unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. Secondly, how this promise of the gospel is signified and sealed in baptism. And thirdly, how this promise 
is rooted in the sovereign good pleasure of a triune God. Therefore, it says, therefore, we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So baptism and the promise of the gospel expressed by the washing away of sins, signified and sealed in baptism, rooted in the sovereign good pleasure of a triune God. As we pointed out to you last time, congregation, is that the sacrament of baptism is in the very first place a very humbling event. The sacrament of baptism confronts us with our sinnership. The sacrament of baptism confronts us with the fact that we are unclean and defiled in God's sight. We know that when we sin, we become guilty, worthy of punishment, but sin also defiles us. Sin corrupts us. Sin pollutes us. And that's what the sacrament of baptism confronts us with. It confronts us with the fact that our precious children, who appear so very innocent when they are infants, that our children are born and conceived in sin, that our children come into this world with a heart that is utterly hostile to God, hostile to His Word, and that those precious children of ours cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. And of course, that's what the sacrament of baptism so powerfully communicates. Because the sacrament of baptism focuses especially on the saving work of God the Holy Spirit. That's why throughout the New Testament, baptism is always mentioned in connection with the Holy Spirit. And so as surely as we sprinkle water upon the head of this sinful child of Adam... So God affirms in the sacrament of baptism that for His namesake, He will do in every generation what the, the sacrament of baptism signifies. And that He, by the marvelous work of His Holy Spirit, He will sprinkle sinners with the clean water of His grace and make us new creatures in Christ. And that's why at the end of the first paragraph, it exhorts us to do three things. It exhorts us, first of all, to loathe ourselves before God. Think about that for a moment. And I include myself. When is the last time that you loathed yourself before God when the sacrament of baptism was administered? to loathe ourselves. Secondly, to humble ourselves. And the two, of course, belong inseparably together. Because when, when it becomes real to us what it means to be a sinner before God, when in some measure we begin to, be, we begin to understand experientially how vile our sinnership is in the sight of God, how can we then not but humble ourselves before God? And thirdly, we are exhorted to seek. So to loathe, to humble, and to seek. And so that recognition of who we are in ourselves is, has one purpose. And that is also the whole objective of baptism. Is on the one hand to remind us of our sinnership. But on the other hand, to direct us to look 
outside of ourselves for the purification of our souls, to look outside of ourselves to the Savior whose person and work are also signified and sealed by means of the sacrament of baptism. And so, of course, the focus of the opening paragraphs is especially on the defiling and the polluting nature of sin. Not only does our sin and the sin of children provoke God's wrath, making us worthy of His punishment, but it also utterly defiles us. It utterly corrupts us. So that means that by nature, we are completely incompatible with God. A holy God, an infinitely holy God, cannot have anything to do with an utterly unholy creature as we are in ourselves, except, except through His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the wonder of the promise of the gospel set before us also in the sacrament. You see, we, we will never value that promise We will never value the Savior who is set before us also in the sacrament of baptism unless our sinnership is real to us. Not merely a matter of outward confession, not merely a matter of our orthodoxy, but when our sinnership is painfully, painfully real to us. So painful as expressed in Psalm 51, where we hear David, the man after God's own heart, groaning so deeply about the awareness, not only of what he did with Bathsheba, but the awareness of his utter corruption in himself. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And when that becomes real, when that becomes experientially real, How precious the gospel then becomes. How precious Christ then becomes. How precious the promise of the gospel then becomes. That precious promise. Namely, the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. A simple statement. And yet a statement so extraordinarily rich. The washing away of our sins. And yet, that's what the gospel promises us. We just read it from 1 John 1, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. That God has provided in His Son a complete remedy for sin. That the gospel tells us that 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 precious blood blots out all of our iniquities in the sight of God. Oh, the precious promise of the gospel is, is that whoever believes in that Christ, whoever trusts in Him, will be the recipient of that extraordinary blessing, the cleansing from all sin. How beautifully this was prophesied by Zechariah in Zechariah 13, verse 1. In that day, there there shall be a fountain opened, to the house of David, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That's what the sacrament of baptism sets before us. It visibly reminds us 
of that precious fountain that has been opened in Christ, that fountain that is filled with Emmanuel's blood, that fountain that is filled with blood that is so efficacious that it infinitely exceeds my vileness, infinitely exceeds my pollution, infinitely exceeds my wretchedness, that blood which cleanses from all sin. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. His work is to make that Christ precious to our soul. There is only one reason why He convicts of sin. There's only one reason why He confronts us with our defilement, with our uncleanness, with our pollution in the sight of God. That is to bring us to the blessed feet of this precious Savior set before us in the sacrament of holy baptism. To bring us to this Christ who so lovingly invites us in the gospel and who invites wretched sinners to come to Him, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That Christ who so sweetly promises that whoever comes to Him shall in no wise be cast out. That Christ who will as surely heal a sin-burdened and sin-stricken sinner as he did that woman with the issue of blood. There was a woman who had been unclean for 12 years because of her affliction. And finally, when there are no other options for her, finally she takes refuge to Christ. She had heard of this precious Christ she had heard from many that whoever came to him was in no wise cast out. And so she came with all of her uncleanness. And she came with her weak and feeble faith. Weak it was. And she touched the hem of his garment. The moment she touched the hem of his garment, virtue went out of Christ. And she was healed. She was cleansed immediately. Christ recognized, as I've said before, He recognized that faith as feeble as it was. And immediately He halted and said, Who has touched me? And He reassures this trembling woman that she has not touched Him in vain. And He declares her free and set free. He says, Go in peace. Thy faith has made thee whole. That's the Christ who is set before us in the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it says it so simply and yet so sweetly. Holy baptism witnesses and sealeth unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. O oh, congregation, do you need such a Savior? Did you come here this morning yearning for Him? Did you come in this morning perhaps burdened with who you are and remain in yourself? And that's why we need the sacraments over and over again. Because what happens also in the lives of God's children? When we sin, when we fall into sin again, and we do more than we realize, and often more than we care to admit, then we lose sight of Christ then our pollution, our defilement, it dims our eyes, the eye of faith. 
And we become so inclined to look again within. Oh, when we sin, we so often revert to a legalistic way of thinking about God, a legalistic way of thinking about the gospel. And then Satan will dare, of course, he will try to keep us in bondage. And then we foolishly think that somehow we have to regain God's favor, that somehow we have to conduct ourselves in such a way that we become acceptable in God's sight. What utter foolishness that is. And that's why we need to be reminded again by means of the sacrament of baptism that from our side there is no expectation. But the wonder of the gospel is that we don't have to persuade God to be gracious afresh. Oh, God's children need to understand that even though we falter, even though we sin, even though we fail, that ever and again we may return to the God against whom we have sinned, and that ever and again we may experience that if we confess our sins, as we read from 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what the Heidelberg Catechism so beautifully expresses in question and answer 84 expresses also, or also uh, is true for the sacrament of baptism. Question 84, how is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? Thus, when according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And dear believer, it is God's desire to reassure you of that foundational truth of the gospel, to reassure you time and again how complete that divine remedy is that He has provided in His only begotten Son. How true the promise of the gospel is that whoever believes in this Christ for the first time or by renewal becomes a partaker of the full and free pardon of sin. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism so powerfully articulates, that whenever, whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, the gospel proclaimed in the preaching of the word and affirmed in the sacrament of baptism, that all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And that brings us to our second point, because it says here that this is witnessed or signified, this is communicated and sealed to us by way of sacrament of baptism. And so the sacraments, that's true for the Lord's Supper as well, perform a double function. They witness and they seal. They signify and they seal. So that means that, first of all, the sacraments teach us something. They teach us the essential truth of the gospel. They teach us 
who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished by his mediatorial work. And so in that sense, also baptism is a visible picture of invisible truth, a visible affirmation. God makes a statement about himself in the sacraments, also in the sacrament of baptism. And we need to understand that. In other words, baptism is not about us. Baptism is not something that tells us something about the parents or the child to be baptized. No, the focus of baptism is on God himself. God is the one who makes a statement in the sacrament. So he testifies, he witnesses, he signifies, he communicates the truth of the gospel in a visible way. However, it is also a seal. Now, in in Bible times, a seal was very important. So, for instance, if a king sent a letter, he would attach his seal to that letter. And whoever received that letter, when they saw that seal, they knew that this letter was authentic. This letter came from the king himself. That seal was a guarantee that everything that was in that letter was true. And that's what God does so graciously in the sacraments. Not only does he instruct us, not only does he teach us, but he seals to the hearts of his children, he seals the truth of the gospel. Or to put it very, very simply, he wants his children to understand in a very special way, in a sacramental way, my dear child, it is really, really true. As you see the visible signs of the sacraments, as you see the sprinkling of water that testifies of the blood of Christ which cleanses from all sin, so true it is, so true it is, that if you believe in that Christ, if you believe in my Son, that you are a partaker of the washing away of your sins. And what a blessed reality that is, that God condescends so low that, as it were, he puts his special stamp of approval on his very own word. Of course, we need to realize that only the true believer benefits from that seal. That's true for the Lord's Supper as well. Just because we physically partake of the Lord's Supper does not mean that we are the beneficiaries of the blessings communicated by means of the Lord's Supper. No, we can only benefit from the Lord's Supper if we partake by faith. Only if we partake by faith will we experience the sealing power of the sacrament. And so it is with baptism. Baptism will not benefit us The truth of baptism will not benefit us unless we embrace the promise of the gospel by faith. And that's why Kelvin emphasizes that the sacrament of baptism is not beneficial to us until God, by His Holy Spirit, makes the reality of those promises a real and genuine experience in our soul. He says this in his Institutes. In infant baptism, 
Nothing more of present effectiveness must be required than to confirm and ratify the covenant made with them but the Lord. The remaining significance of this sacrament will afterward follow at such time as God himself foresees. And if you pay careful attention to the prayers of the form, this is what the congregation, this is what we will be praying for. We will be praying that the grace that is signified at the baptism of this child, that the Holy Spirit will seal that grace to the heart of this precious child. And that's why when the sacrament of baptism is administered, and when the child of God properly understands what God is communicating by means of that sacrament, God will use also baptism to seal afresh to the hearts and souls of His children the blessed reality of the promises of the gospel. And so also the sacrament of baptism is therefore designed to do what the Puritans were so fond of saying, is that for every look we take at ourselves, we need to take ten looks at Christ. We are inclined to do the opposite. We are so inclined to take ten looks at ourselves, and but one look at Christ. Now, the whole purpose of baptism is to direct our attention away from ourselves. Yes, we are and remain sinners. Yes, we fail miserably at times. Yes, we stumble. But the baptism of our children is God's means to communicate that His remedy in Christ infinitely exceeds our sinfulness, and that His blood truly cleanses us from all sins. And then finally, just a few words on the next statement. Therefore, because of this promise of the gospel, therefore we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so here the form correctly connects the promise of the gospel with the triune God. Because when Christ instituted the sacrament of baptism just before his ascension, he commissioned his church to do precisely that. Go forth into the world and baptize the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So what the forum wants to emphasize immediately, that this blessed salvation that Christ has accomplished that the blessed promises of the gospel, which are signified and sealed by means of the sacrament of baptism, that that gospel has its origin in the heart of a triune God. That also the sacrament of baptism is a visible display of the sovereign good pleasure of a triune God. And what is the sovereign good pleasure of a triune God? The sovereign good pleasure of a triune God is to bring sinners back to themselves, bring sinners back into an everlasting love relationship with this triune God in and through His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What we will see when we continue our exposition of this 
form, and I hope you will pay attention to this as we will read the entire form shortly, is how beautifully it unpacks for us how each of the persons of the Trinity is intimately involved in the salvation of His people and what it is that each person communicates to His people as to what their specific work is, the specific focus of their person in securing and maintaining the salvation and redemption of God's people. And so what's beautiful about the Lord's Supper, therefore, about the, the sacrament of baptism, is that it is this triune God, this triune God who reminds us that His sovereign good pleasure will continue to promise, or it will continue to prosper. And what a blessed reality that is. And we need to, be, we need to remind ourselves, congregation, at every baptism that the existence of our congregation is the affirmation of the continued display of God's covenant faithfulness. We are the living proofs that this triune God is a God who has purposed to save sinners, who has purposed to bring sinners into an everlasting covenant relationship with Himself. That's why the language of Matthew 28, verse 19, is so significant. We tend to miss that when we don't read the Greek original text. What it literally says, that we are, Christ says, you must baptize the nations into the name, singular, into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptize into. Why that, why that preposition into? To emphasize the whole purpose of baptism, namely to communicate that it is God's desire and good pleasure in every generation to bring sinners into an everlasting relationship with Himself. And so being baptized into is, is covenant language. And that alone, of course, emphasizes that here in this, in Matthew 28, verse 19, the word baptize cannot possibly mean to immerse, which is the faulty explanation of the verb baptizo. Baptizo, the word baptize as it is used in the Bible, first and foremost signifies bringing someone into union with God. You cannot be immersed into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. No, baptism affirms what God's desire and good pleasure is. And that happens, of course, in a very unique way when a child is baptized. What a remarkable moment it is when God allows His name, His glorious triune name, to be mentioned together the name of a sinful child. That God is not ashamed for His name to be mentioned with the name of the son and daughter of Adam. And that is exactly what He desires to communicate. That's exactly what the sacrament of baptism affirms. That through Jesus Christ, 
through whom we can obtain the pardon of our sins, that through Jesus Christ, God and sinners can be reconciled. God and sinners can be united again. That a thrice holy God can be the God of a sinful child of Adam. What an amazing reality that is. And so in the sacrament of baptism, we see and we hear the truth of that wonder of God's good pleasure. We see, first of all, we hear how He is pleased to identify Himself even with our sinful children. And secondly, we see it by means of the sacrament itself. What a blessed truth that is. Also for us as parents, if our children would come to us and would say, how do I know that I can be saved? How can I know that I can be a child of God? Parents, you can say to your children, God called you by your name at your baptism. When you were baptized, God joined his name with your name. God has already declared before you even knew you existed that he has no pleasure in your death, but that you would turn unto him and live. What an encouragement that is also for us as parents. And so as we raise our children, we need to do what one of our forefathers was fond of saying. We need to teach our children to show God their baptized forehead. What that simply means is that our children may remind God of what He promises and seals every single time the sacrament of baptism is administered. And what courage that gives us for an unknown future to know that no matter what will happen, and we do not know what will happen, we do not know the future that awaits our children and grandchildren. But one thing we know with certainty, that this God will continue to be this triune, covenant-keeping God who will remember His covenant from generation to generation, and who will see to it that in every generation there will be sinners wrought upon by His Holy Spirit, to recognize how vile and unclean they are in themselves, but also to direct them to this precious Christ who is the centerpiece of the sacrament of baptism as well. This precious Christ of whom we have read in His Word and of whom we confess also here in the form for baptism. This Christ whose blood cleanses from all sins. O congregation, do you know this Savior? Have you taken refuge to this Christ? Have you come to Him with all of your uncleanness, with all of your vileness, with all of your corruption? Have you come to this Christ in whom there is a remedy for your polluted and corrupt and guilty soul? This Christ whose precious blood cleanses from all sins? Or, or will your baptism once testify against you? It has been said, it's not original with me, you can also drown in the waters of baptism. What that simply means 
That if in spite of all your gospel privileges, in spite of God's dealings with you from the days of your infancy, if in spite of all of that you continue in sin and you will not heed the gospel, and if you were to die in your sins, you will drown forever in the waters of your baptism, then that extraordinary privilege that is ours will then forever testify against you. And so let this sacrament, oh, let it be an encouragement to everyone that is gathered here today. Let us be reminded also by means of this sacrament, God comes so very, very near to us. And God wants us to know this sacrament affirms visibly that I really am who I am and who I have revealed myself to be in my Son. This sacrament affirms that in my Son I have opened a fountain filled with his blood against all sin and against all uncleanness. So I want to conclude with quoting two stanzas of this wonderful, wonderful hymn that Top Lady composed and it is so applicable to what sacrament of baptism also communicates. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from the riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, ere I die. Amen.